How are we doing, church? Good to see you. I love baptisms. I love what they represent, a heart dedicated to God. Uh, just, yeah, putting a line in the sand and saying, I'm following completely after Him. It's so good. I love those moments in life where you just feel that your heart is full. Do you know that you would have heard that phrase and possibly you know that moment and you just, you just kind of reflect and you go, man, my heart is full at the moment. I, I love those times. Normally it's, it's, uh, it's when I'm watching my, my daughters and it's on the rare occasions when they're not fighting amongst each other and they're actually, you know, they're, they're, they're playing really well together or they're showing real kindness to one another or they're loving each other in a, in a, in a beautiful way and I just see it and I just, my heart, it's just full. And I'm just like, wow. Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, okay. A couple of the ladies raise their hands. The men are like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, too staunch. Come on, guys. I know you can get full hearts too. God wants us to have hearts that are overflowing, that are full to overflowing. I love what Psalm 4 verse 7 says. So you, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain than they have when their grain and wine abound. A heart full of joy. God's desire is that we live with hearts and lives that are full and overflowing. Richie shared that, uh, that verse before, and it's actually the verse for this whole series that we're looking at. Uh, and it's in Ephesians 3.19. It says, Where you may be filled to the full measure, sorry, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Full and overflowing with God. Because I said last week, too often we're, we're going around and we're just driving around on empty. The little reader on it, the little light on our, on our dash is saying, is flashing, it's, it's telling you, you, you you're running on empty. And too often, I think, as Christians, we run around on empty when we go, why is not life not working the way it should? But actually, God's desire is that we live a, a full and overflowing life. And that begins in our hearts. We're looking today at living life with a full heart. Why our heart? Because actually our heart is where it all begins. Our heart is where it all starts. The world will tell you that, that fulfillment and happiness come from the outside in. That, that you're externally, if things are going well, if you've got stuff and, and relationships are good and externally everything is good, then you will be full. But actually that's not true. And that's actually not what God says either. Proverbs, and I'm going to read you a, a great passage here in Proverbs 4, starting verse 18. I, I, I'll read a fair bit of it. It says, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun. Shining ever brighter to the full light of day. See, our lives are meant to get better and better, brighter and brighter. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. And here it is, this verse here. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do, flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. The NK, uh, New King James Version says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. See, the stuff in our world can come against us and circumstances can change, but actually what dictates our life, our fullness, 
is not the external stuff. It's what's in our heart. Everything in our life flows from our heart. And, and, and the fact of the matter is bad stuff will come against you. Stuff will happen in your world that you think, man, that's rubbish. Why is that happening? What's, what's going on? But it's how we respond. It's what we do from the, the well that's within our heart that actually determines the course of our life, determines where we're at, determines how things are for us. Do I get an amen? You guys are going all quiet on me. I need, I need you. I tell you, I, t- I say this fairly often. The, the, the better you respond, the better I'll preach. Yeah, it's true. If you, if you respond really well, I'll just be on fire. But if you're like really quiet and um, just, uh, just wondering how long I'm going to go for, then I'll, uh, then I'll probably just respond in that way and I'll just go for a really long time <laughs> and be really boring. Okay, so, so we're going to keep it brief. If you want to keep it brief and exciting, yeah, Ellie wants it brief and exciting. What about the rest of you? It's because Ellie's heard too many of my sermons. She's like, yeah, come on. Get it over with, would you? Okay, so, you see, because how we respond is up to us. You see, the preacher might be really exciting or he might be really boring, but how you respond is what's coming out of your heart. What did you come to church with there this morning? Were you like, well, I'll see what happens, or did you come with faith? We had Pastor Wayne on that video, come, come, come with faith to the Word. Come with faith to church, because then we get something out of it. Because it's out of the overflow of our hearts that flow the issues of life. So today, I'm actually going to take a bit of a, a different slant on this. And we're going to look at a man and his life and an episode of his life which things didn't go so well in. We're looking at it rather an infamous kind of story where I guess a man should have been looking after his heart and he, he didn't. He didn't tend to the issues of his inner world and it led to major heartbreak for him and those around him. Uh, and, and ultimately we see a resolution for him, but it's a very painful process. And I think it's a process we can learn from. So if you haven't guessed already, we're going to look at the guy called David, and the story is found in 2 Samuel 11. I'm not going to put it on the screen because I'm going to read you basically uh, a whole chapter. So settle in, get yourself comfortable. Uh, here we go. Two, 2 Samuel 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messages to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And David sent him to David. When Uriah, sorry, Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? 
Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Wow. So the goodness of Uriah's heart is, is contrasted here with the deceitfulness of David's. Pick it up in verse 12. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among the master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. We'll skip down uh, to verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. It's a sobering story. And there's a, there's a, there's a principle that we need to apply here. In reading the Bible, we actually use Scripture to interpret other Scripture, Right? That's, that's how we read it. So we've established earlier, I said from Proverbs 4, that out of our heart flow the issues of life. Now, if that's the case, then judging by this story, David must have had a pretty rotten heart. <laughs> like, seriously, lust, deceitfulness, eventually murder. However, David is known as a man after God's own heart. There's, there's a disconnect here. Like if, we, if you read in Acts 13.22, uh, so this is in the New Testament, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And this is actually referencing back to before, uh, when, before David was king. But actually, this comes hundreds, thousands of years later after David has done these terrible things with Bathsheba. And it's still there, and it's still true that David is a man after God's own heart. So how does this work? If he's done such terrible things, and yet he's got a heart that is after God, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But you see, that's, that's the beauty of God's grace. That David wasn't perfect. He was far from perfect, yet he was still beloved of God. David actually means beloved of God. David was a, man's, a man after God's own heart, yet he obviously got it very, very wrong in this season of his life, right? And I want to suggest to you that there are three things that make David a man after God's own heart, and there are those three, same three things are the three things that he kind of neglected and forgot about in this season. Okay, so if you're taking notes, I've made it easy for you. The three things all begin with F uh, because that helps you, especially those who are not writing things down. And just say begin with F. Uh, what, did, what did Dave talk to you about? Uh, begins with F something. Faith is the first one. David lived 
by faith. You, we know the most famous story of David is what? David and Goliath. It's a story of faith. David, the little shepherd boy, coming out, swinging his, his sling and killing a giant that none of the army were prepared to face. Like it's, a, it's an incredible, probably the greatest story of faith in the Bible. David was a man of faith. And, and it's not just that one off. Like before then, he was fighting lions and bears. And after that, he, he served Saul and then he was being chased by Saul. But he, he stayed in faith. He didn't, he didn't uh, kill Saul when he had an opportunity. He honored God in faith. And then he led the people of Israel. He led uh, the Ark of the Covenant back. He lived a life of faith, an incredible life of faith. He's, he's still revered in, in Hebrew culture as the greatest king that they ever had. He lived by faith. But here in this story, that's not happening. David is not walking in faith. Let me just read to you again part of that. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. So what was David doing? He was not living by faith. He was not doing the God-ordained faith mission that God had called him to do. You see, there was a time when kings went off to war. There was a time when David was supposed to lead his army, and he wasn't there. He was absent. And we don't know why. He neglected it. Maybe he was bored. Maybe he was just... Sick of doing the same thing every year. Oh, it's time to go to the war. I can't be stuffed this year. I'm just going to have a holiday at home in Jerusalem. Lays about on my roof. Uh, or maybe maybe he just got lazy. Maybe he was like, nah, yeah, can't be stuffed. We, we just don't know. But I tell you what, if we want lives that are full, hearts that are full, then we need to live by faith. We need to live in the God-ordained promises and the direction that He's called us to live in. And when we just take a step back and we go, oh, I just can't be stuffed. Actually, I can't be bothered following God's call in my life. It's just too hard. I'm just going to have a season of just kind of cruising, of just sitting back. That is when we're at most at risk. That is when the devil will sneak in. And you go, ah, there's someone who's, who's just decided to put God on the back burner. We've just decided to put God off to the side. And that's when he comes in and he, and he tempts us and he leads us down a path of destruction. See, David put himself in a compromising position in a seemingly innocuous way. He just didn't go to war. Like you could go, well, David, he's been a fighter all his life. You know, maybe he just wants a break. It's, you could justi- we can justify our lack of following God. We can justify, oh, I'm not going to go uh, to shout conference this year because I just can't. Afford. I'm not going to come to church this week. Because, oh, I'm not going to go to an e-group because I'm too busy. I'm not gonna. We can justify it any which way we want. But then when we do that, we put ourselves in a compromising position. Don't step away from that which God has called you to do. I don't know what that is. And there are seasons as well. And those things will change. You will have kids. And, and, you know, your, your world will change. But that doesn't change the call of God on your life. It just means it looks a little different. But God still has a call. I see too many people, they, they start a family and they're like, oh, well, the call of God's over for me. No, no, no. It'll look different. Yeah, you have to juggle a few more things. But they're still there. 
David lived by faith, but for this season, he stopped living by faith and it had dire consequences for him. If you want to live a life that is full and have a full heart, you've got to live by faith. Is that good? Okay, so the first thing we've got to do if we want to live a full and overflowing life is live by faith. The number, number two is we've got to follow, as soon as the F, God's word wholeheartedly. Follow God's word wholeheartedly. See, David was known for loving the word of God. In fact, of the 150 Psalms, it's a book of songs basically in the Bible, over half of them were written by David. He was a great musician and he was a great lover of the word of God. Uh, let me just quote um, from one psalm. It's, it's the biggest one. Psalm 119. He says in verse 47, he says, For I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. See, David meditated. He just took time to meditate, to eat the word as we talked about a few weeks ago. He just spent time with the word of God. He meditated on it. But not only did he meditate on it, he loved to keep it. As well, Psalm 119, again, at the very start of it, verse 1, it says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow His ways. David loved to follow the Word of God, to follow His ways. He did it all his life. And yet here, in this season, He's way off the mark. Like, he's, he's breaking every commandment there is. He's like committing adultery. He's committing murder. He's lying. He's just, he's, it's like he's going on a bender. He's just completely fallen off the wagon. He'd done so well for so long. And now he's just like, oh, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. I'm just going to just double down on my sin. And just going to make it even worse is essentially what he's done, doing. Have you, have you ever done that? Or seen, you, you probably don't want to own up to it. <laughs> We're just like, well, I'm just, I'm just, I've broken, I've done a little sin, so I'm just going to go the whole way. We had an episode in the holidays. My girls, um, uh, we were uh, staying in Kaikoura, and uh, my, uh, the house is not big enough, so the girls have to sleep in a tent, uh, the three older girls. And um, I went out there, we were, I don't know, tidying up the tent because it was a, a mess. And I found like this pile of biscuits. There's like five biscuits just huddled in this little pile at the, uh, underneath a, um, a sleeping bag. And I was like, okay, who nicked the biscuits? So I went and asked the girls individually. And they all deny it, flatly deny it. And I'm like, well, okay, somebody's not telling me the truth. We're on holiday. I've got time. Uh, so... So until, until someone owns this, you're not going out in the boat because you know, my father-in-law has a wee boat and the girls love to go out and see the dolphins. And when you're not going out in the boat today. Nobody's doing anything until somebody owns us. Man, oh, there, was, there was like a war. There was, like, there was accusations flying and they were like siding with one another. And, and I'm not going to tell you who it was. <laughs> no, because I don't want you to judge my daughters. You know it's one of them. Uh, so you can judge my parenting perhaps. But, but eventually it, it came out. It was like they just, this, this child just doubled down on this. And they're like, right, it had gotten to this point that it was, and it just started out with such a little thing. Such a little thing. You know, for David, 
he was just on a, on a rooftop and it might have been a nice warm evening. He might have just been relaxing there, but he, he looked and he saw a woman bathing. Now, temptation itself is not sin. It's what we do with temptation that leads us to sin. You could have said, well, David, you know, as I said, he made some bad decisions to be in that place at all. But actually, at that point, it could have all just finished. He could have just gone back inside, gone to sleep. And we wouldn't be reading about this story today. But he didn't. He acted on that. And then he acted on it, and, it, and, it, and something happened. And so he acted, he's like, oh, I have to make this right. But he did it in a wrong. And he just doubled down, and it just got worse, and it escalated. And it led one tiny sin led to another, that led to another, that just got worse and worse. It ended with murder. Now, thankfully, the issue with the bickies. I still have four daughters. Uh, things, things didn't get that crazy. But I don't know about you, but it, it's actually a little bit a, a little bit comforting to know that this great man of faith who, is, who, who lives by faith, who follows God's word, who writes large portions of uh, the Bible, just has this amazing explosion of wrong in his life. And, and just gets it so so wrong. I, I I don't I don't imagine any of you have have actually gone that far. I don't imagine any of you have committed adultery and then arranged for a hit on the spouse. Yeah, just if you have, then we need to talk uh, um, outside of this uh, forum. But but you know we've all done stuff that's that's led to other covering up and, and trying to make things right. And I tell you what, what, what David needed to do and what we need to do is at the very outset is just to say, I'm sorry. And that leads me to the next one, is that we need to walk in forgiveness. The third F is forgiveness. Because as we've read, David's story, you know, it could have, it could have ended a lot earlier, um, but it didn't, and it led to Uriah's death. But it doesn't stop there, because the next chapter, I won't read it to you, but basically what happens is there's a prophet, Nathan, he comes to David, and he very cleverly tells him a story about a wealthy landowner who wants a, a lamb from a, from a very poor man who only has one, one sheep, and this wealthy landowner owns hundreds of sheep, and he takes it from him. And David is outraged. He's like, what? That's not fair. And then, I love it. Nathan says, you are that man. You've got to be a brave person to be a prophet in the Old Testament. Like, like he's the king and you're accusing him of all this. And, you know, but David is a righteous man. And perhaps Nathan knew that. So he trusted that his head wasn't going to be on the block. But at this point, this is where David truly shows that he is a man after God's own heart because he doesn't make excuses. He doesn't blame Bathsheba or anybody else. He owns it. He owns his sin. And 2 Samuel 12, 13 just says this. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He admits his wrong. And that's what makes him a man after God's own heart. Mayor and I were having a discussion 
discussion earlier this week. We'll call it a heated fellowship. Uh, and uh, uh, she, she said something to the effect of, why, why, can you, why can you simply not admit that you're wrong? To which I humbly said, nothing. <laughs> because... <laughs> Admitting you're wrong is the hardest thing to do, right? You're all sitting there judging me, I know. But uh, I reckon you would have done something similar. Because <laughs> doing what David did is hard. Admitting we're wrong is one of the hardest things. <laughs> Don't start petting your husband or your wife. Because <laughs> they could pet you right back. Come on. Because when we, when we hold offense, when we keep bitterness, when we are proud, when we are self-righteous in our hearts, when we hold that stuff in, then actually we don't allow space for God. And David knew this. He knew that the wrong, the self-condemnation, the, the mess that he had made, he couldn't just hold on to it because it was keeping him from God. They, they can't coexist in the same place. We can't have God and live with unforgiveness, whether it's toward ourselves or towards others. But we, we, ha- we can't live in that space. We have to empty the container so God can fill it up again. We have to clean out the muck and the, the lies and the, the hurt and whatever it is so God can pour in His oil, His water. So there's actually one more scripture we need to use to interpret this story about David. And it's a psalm. It's a song that David wrote in response to this whole story. It's Psalm 51. I'm going to read you the whole psalm. We've got it on the um, screen behind you. But just, just, just take some time and meditate on this. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your your altar. 
it's such a beautiful outpouring of, of grief and of asking for forgiveness. And actually, if we're to live life to the full, if we're to live with full hearts, then we need to take a leaf out of David's book. We need to learn how to live in forgiveness. Forgiveness towards others and forgiveness towards ourselves. We can learn so much. And we'll have a time at the end of this message to, to delve into that a little bit. But actually, before, before we go there, I just want to give you a few wee practical tips from David. Uh, from, yeah, about how we guard our heart. This idea of guarding our heart. And can I encourage you, get along to e-groups this week. Uh, there's some great analogies. They talk about guarding a goal uh, in, in soccer. If you like football, get along to an e-group this week. Um, but today, I just want to give you some very simple tips. So firstly, be on guard. That makes sense, doesn't it? We need to be on guard. Proverbs 3 says, guard your heart. Well, to, to guard your heart, you actually have to be alert. I think what happened for David, we touched on it. He got a bit sloppy. He got a bit lax. He let his guard down because the enemy is so sneaky. He knows our weaknesses, and he will sneak in any way he can. So we've got to have awareness to his plans. It's never a good uh, Dave sermon without uh, a biking analogy. So, uh, so, so when you're racing uh, in a bike race, you have to be aware of attacks, especially if you're not the fastest and the strongest in the bunch. Because basically you do a whole lot less work if you're sitting in a bunch. You do about a third less work. So if you get isolated, if you get by yourself then probably you're just going to lose the bunch and you're out the back and you don't see anyone for the rest of the race and it's a lonely ride home. So you've got to be alert. You've got to be aware. Oh, and you've got to know who. Who's, who's, the ones, who's the wheel to follow? Who's the one who's going to attack and going to make it stick? Who are the ones that you need to be on? And you've got to, and you've got to be alert. I think it's the same in our spiritual world. We've got to be aware. How does the enemy work? What are my weaknesses? What are the things that I know that actually the enemy can come in and attack me? And I don't want to get isolated by the enemy. Because that's one of his key tricks is to isolate us. That's why coming to church, coming to e-group, coming into these spaces is so key. Because when we are together, we're a whole lot less easy to pick off. So we've got to be aware. We've got to be on guard. And one day, here's the beautiful thing, is one day you might be the one doing the attacking. One day you might be strong enough to go on the offensive. One day you might be able to bike out of the pack and lead a, a bunch down the road. And instead of always being on the offensive, uh, defensive against the devil, we can go on the offensive because we've built ourselves up. We've been on guard. What are some of the things that you need to be on guard in, in your world today? Well, here's a few. The TV you watch. Be on guard. It's what comes in your eyes, whether it's on TV or on your phone, on YouTube or whatever it is. You need to be on guard. The music you listen to. You, you might think, oh, I just got a cool beat. But yeah, the, the lyrics, they're sowing. Are they sowing what you want to sow into your life? Or are they leading you away? The books you read, the, 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 the media you allow in, the people you allow to speak into your world. You need to be on guard against these things. You need to be on guard against unforgiveness. 
against taking offense, of taking hurt to heart. We need to guard our hearts. That's the first thing, guard our heart. The second thing I'd say is, is be proactive, not just reactive. Be proactive, not just reactive. Because it's about doing the little things every day that train us for battle. If I'm going to talk biking again, it's the training I do when I'm not racing that. When I come to a race, I can stay with the bunch, hopefully, because of the training that I did in private. It's the, it's the stuff you do in private. It's your reading every morning, reading a bit of the Bible, praying to God, praising Him. At the end of your day, just spending some time with Him, praying, reflecting on, on your day and, and, and asking forgiveness for the things you've done wrong and, and forgiving those who have wronged you. It's those proactive things that you do, not just drifting into your day and getting smashed by the enemy. But no, proactively going, okay, what can I do to draw close to God? What can I do to walk with Him more nearly today? Because that daily diligence in your routine, it will build the armor of God in your life. It will build strength in you. So when the enemy comes to attack, he's got nothing. You can just brush it off because you've been proactive. Is that good? You're going quiet again. Is it, is it too convicting? <laughs> Come on, we need, to, we need to just daily. I know it's hard. I know I wake up in the morning and I, sometimes I don't feel like praying. Sometimes I just want to distract myself with the news or whatever. But come on, when we get into that space, it, it sets ourselves up. And when we finish the day in that way, it sets ourselves up for the next day as well. Invite the keys up. So, so we need to be proactive and not reactive. And the third thing I think we can really learn from David, if we want to live life with a full heart, is we need to keep starting afresh in God. We just start afresh in God every day. Every day. It's awesome. His mercies are new every day, the Bible says. We get to start afresh every day. You can put the mess, the stuff you did wrong, the, the hurt, you can put all that from yesterday behind you and start again. King David, he did that. He started again. He didn't write himself off. He could have. He could have said, oh, I, I've really right and royally stuffed up. I shouldn't be king anymore. I'm, I'm abdicating the throne and Absalom or one of my sons can step in and you can, be, you can be king. But no, he didn't. He humbly came back to God. We read it before in Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And he was crying out from his heart, God, I want to start again with you. I need to start again with you. And I think it is this humility, this willingness to just start afresh, humbly before God, is what makes him a man after his, God's heart. And I don't actually care how long you've been a Christian here. You may have been a Christian four days or 40 years. We all need to start again with God. You never reach your place where you go, oh, I've got it sorted. I don't need to restart. No, no, no. Until heaven, you will keep 
needing to relaunch. The Christian walk is just basically a, a daily walk of restarting again and starting again and asking forgiveness and starting again. Because as you grow in Him, you begin to realize the things that are actually a bit ugly about yourself. You realize, oh, that attitude, man, that stinks. Man, I'm a bit up myself sometimes. Oh, I need to grow in this area. I need to forgive that person. Whatever it is, we need to keep coming to God. Say, God, I stuffed up. I need your forgiveness. I need to start again. So this morning, what is it for you? I'm going to trust that you want to live a life with a full heart. You want the issues of life to flow from a good place. For David, he lived with faith. He followed and he forgave. What is it for you this morning? Is it the area of faith? Have you, have you kind of just started to take a step back? Step back from church, step back from God, step back from, from a group and fellowship with other Christians, step back from the call that He has for you? Do you need to step forward again in faith? Or maybe it's following, following His Word, spending time with Him. Maybe you've just started to drift. Little sin has started to creep in. Or maybe it's this area of forgiveness. Maybe you actually need to come back to Him and say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the stuff that I've done. I want to start again. Jesus was massive on forgiveness, right? Like, that's why He came. I was just reading uh, last night in, in my personal Bible reading in Matthew 6. It says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's not often that God puts a proviso on how He responds to us, but in this case, He does. He says, if you're not going to forgive, I'm not going to forgive. So maybe it's that area of forgiveness. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? Maybe it's the area of faith or following that you need to just get things right with God. But I really want to just speak right now to that area of forgiveness. Just because it's so important. And I actually believe right now, some of you need to hear this. God forgives you. God forgives you. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what's weighing on your heart. But God, He forgives you. Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is actually ourselves. You need to receive the forgiveness of God this morning. You need to not just ask it and then just walk away. No, actually, you need to allow God's grace to come, to fill you. I actually believe in this moment, some people need to do some business with God around this area of forgiveness. Perhaps it's forgiving someone else. Perhaps there is someone 
this week or maybe a long time ago who has hurt you, who's done something, said something, acted in some way, and you're still holding on to that. You try and forget it, but it just, and whenever someone talks about forgiveness, it comes back up. You know you haven't dealt with it fully. Come on, just in this moment, you need to let it go. If David can forgive himself, you can forgive that person. I tell you what, if David can forgive himself for those things that he did, you can forgive yourself too. So just with every eye closed, head bowed here this morning. If you're in that place and you either know you need to forgive someone or you need forgiveness yourself, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm, I'm just going to ask you to respond in some way to God. Maybe you raise a hand. Maybe you, you just open yourself up. Maybe you just pray a prayer as I pray. But we're going to ask for forgiveness in this moment. And we're going to ask it knowing that He forgives, knowing that it is dealt with on the cross because He died for our forgiveness. So right now, let's pray. Father, I thank You. You you desire that we live lives with full hearts. And we know that unforgiveness keeps us from that fullness. And so right now, we forgive. We forgive those people who have hurt us, who have wronged us, either deliberately or inadvertently. God, it doesn't matter. We forgive them now. Come on, church. Just maybe you need to say, I forgive you. I forgive them. Come on, we forgive them now. And in this moment also, God, we we come and we we ask your forgiveness. We're sorry for where we have turned away where we're stuffed up, where we've done things our own way, where we've served ourselves, where we've been selfish and proud and whatever we've done, God, we say we're sorry. Forgive us, God, and help us to forgive ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, there's one more, one more group of people I want to talk to. You're here this morning and actually you haven't, ever received the forgiveness of Jesus or you did a long time ago but you've walked away and you know this is your first time back in church from ages or your first time coming back maybe ever I want to say you are welcome in God's family Jesus came and he died and he rose again so that you can have a relationship with God so that your sin can be forgiven so that any debt that you might have is dealt with it's paid in full by Jesus. All you need to do is come to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. So if you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, I need to do that. My life is not right with God. It's not based on anything you can do. It's all based on what He has already done. So just with every eye closed, head bowed in this place. If you're here and you want to respond, you want to receive God's forgiveness in your life and come to know Jesus. Just raise your hand. I'll see it. You can put it down. And then we'll pray together. I'll give you a moment. Okay, I'm not 
seeing any hands, so you can raise your eyes. Hey, I just want to say, if, if God is dealing with something in your heart at the moment around this area of forgiveness, and you want prayer, 